Did you know they make toy smartphones for babies now? What is that? My little dick pic? I don't know. <laughs> hey guys, it's Cameron James from the Total Reboot Podcast. Just letting you know that I'm doing an hour comedy show at the Sydney Comedy Festival, April 29 to May 1 at the absolutely marvellous Enmore Theatre. It's in a smaller room, but that's not important. Book at sydneycomedyfest.com.au. There is limited seating, so please book early, baby. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Do one Hadn't day. I thought I of guess. that. Yeah. <laughs> are we are we rolling? This is Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies. Ben, can I get you to just count for me? One, two, three, four. Wow, even that was beautiful. Yeah, wow. I moved. <laughs> <laughs> now, on this week's episode of our Screenager miniseries, all about teen cinema, we sat down with Australian pop royalty, Ben Lee. You know Ben Lee from being a constantly evolving singer-songwriter for the last 20 years and from being the writer of not one but two unofficial pandemic anthems. We're all in this together and the wonderfully titled Catch My Disease. But we're here to talk about his starring and only feature film performance in the 2003 Australian teen classic The Rage in Placid Lake. Can I get you? One, two, three, four, five. We're trying a little too hard. Well, you know, I was trying to compete. (laughs) As you're about to hear, Ben is such a good conversationalist, so this chat takes us from movies to music to being an indie teenager in suburban Australia and so much more. It's a lot of fun. We hope you like it as much as we did. I listened to the Days of Confused one. Oh, oh sick. So I, cool. I wanted to hear what the podcast is Yeah, about. cool. I actually really enjoyed it because um, it made me think about... like. The way you remember movies and the role mm. they play in your mm. life, mm. yeah. You guys like having you guys has rewatched it, yeah. Which yeah. is one, yeah. and it made me think about it in present tense yeah. more, and how it's like affected, you know, my concept of movies and all these. Anyway, we've mainly been focusing on teen movies at the moment, which mm. I guess is why we really wanted to talk to you because the Rage in Placid Lake was to us an yeah. iconic. Film. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Isn't that so cool? weird? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like it has weird pockets of people who like stumbled on it mm. on telly, or it's just um because it's not a movie that did particularly well, and for an Australian movie that was like a little bit embarrassing because there's not that many that come out each year. That's yeah. true. And if you handful. can't capture the market with very little competition, <laughs> there is like a bit of humiliation <laughs> to that. But still, but it did have some lasting effect, I guess. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, at, yeah. when I was in high school, it was like one of the movies that everyone talked about. Oh, that's And cool. actually my high school very much loved Australian films for mm. some reason. There was a couple that were kind of maybe a bit, Around that era, there was one called Blurred, which was about schoolies. Yeah. I remember all my friends were like, you've got to watch Blurred. And then one day, we're going to go to schoolies. <laughs> we're going to get freaking like Blurred that. one day, dude. I promise you we're going to get Blurred. And The Rage in Placid Lake was like a great mm. example of like, I mean, I loved it at the time. I think it was maybe the first time that I'd seen something where it was a spin on Teenage Rebellion. Yes. That I've now, I think maybe I've seen now, but at the time I was kind of, in awe of like, whoa, this is the opposite. It's like a cool kid who goes square. <laughs> well, it was a bit like, 
Did you ever watch Family Ties? Yes. Oh, yeah. Because it was a bit had a bit of that, the reaction against the hippie mm. parents um, and how that. there's a sort of, yeah, like a reactive bounce back from either side mm. of the sort of polarised political spectrum. Um, so I think that, that was the context that I... And I was a big Michael J. Fox fan. Mm. Um, yeah, so him. I loved like The Secret of My Success. Mm. Yeah. That's, that was probably like one of my biggest... It's in some ways it shaped my whole outlook on life. Just like really, well, sort of because it was just like the hustle, mm. and mm. the it was sort of had a bit of like what makes Sammy run, like um, someone starting at the bottom, working their way up, some good natured dishonesty, which mm. I think <laughs> as a performer I've always related to. That yeah, you absolutely. basically got to like hustle it and like make it yeah. work. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I looked at it as a bit in a. It was sort of carrying on an idea from those sorts of yeah. stories or archetypes. Yeah. yeah, I think as well because we've been talking about teen films so much and thinking about like what were those like teen films that shaped you as a teenager. Was like Secret of My Success one of those for you? Yeah, I think I was a little bit, probably a bit younger. Like I was probably a preteen when I saw mm. it, like eleven or twelve or something. Um, as a teenager, I mean, I just really dived into alternative culture as a teenager yeah. like from basically like to you know just to give you context like i was 14 in 1992 yeah so when nirvana were the biggest band in the mm. world and it just opened up everything it was like suddenly there mm. was like Lollapalooza, and wow. like so i was into like hal hartley I mean, that was yeah. my that was my god like my mm. teenage cinema god like i made all my like middle class private school Jewish friends <laughs> like watch simple men. Yeah. Like like that was that was what I thought a good time was. Um and I, I actually like I had some contact with Hal Hartley uh last year or something. We're emailing back and forth about something. And I was just like, I just wanted to say that film shaped not just how I think about cinema, but what I think about like art should be wow. like the weirdness of the way your characters talk to each other. Yeah. And it was really weird because um, I, I sort of delved into him again a little bit a while ago and reading more about his process. Cause at that age, I barely knew what a director was. Like mm. I remember, I remember the first time I became aware of a director was I think when Reservoir Dogs came out yep. and someone said, I love Tarantino movies. Yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. like, is that the writer? Is he a <laughs> star? What do you I mean? I just didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know the difference yeah. between, you know, it's producer, director. Anyway. That's the whole era of like the director becoming cool again. Yeah. The totally. 90s, man. Totally. And it's also to do with like your own critical thinking about cinema, mm. like as opposed to just like, there's a great, um, one of my favorite Pete Holmes jokes he tells is about um, how having sex totally coincided with snobbishness for him. Like he does, he does this whole thing about, it. he's like, when I was a kid, I just loved every movie. I yeah. just yeah. loved it. Yeah. I was loving it. He's like, and then I had sex and I was like, I don't know. I don't know about the DP on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird how he put those things together. Yeah. I thought that was really clever. Oh, um, that's so I funny. Because you've lived, you've become a man. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, suddenly you're like separating the wheat from the chaff. You yeah. know, it's like, you're wizened to the ways of the world and cinema. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So anyway, I loved like um, you know, I was just exploring like alternative cinema, yeah, and Jim Jarmusch, and oh um, wow, I don't know. Like I was just watching, I can't, I can't remember. But I was that's what I was interested yeah. in. So that was my teenage kind of years. Yeah. I mean, I saw Days and Confused, 
three times at the cinema. Oh, really? Twice at the Valhalla. Oh my gosh. Man, um, that's amazing. That was yeah. a big film for me. Um, and all that, all the Linklater stuff. I mean, I got into that stuff. I, by the time he did like Before Sunrise, I was yep. like, oh, it was a little commercial for me. <laughs> so Bit of a like romantic comedy. I'm not that <laughs> too sweet. <laughs> too yeah, sweet. I, was like, you know, so. I can't tell you how jealous I am of yeah. what your taste was like when you were that age because. I know, I mean, I listen to your, that album, uh, Quarter Century Classics yeah, yeah. of yours a lot because it's all the music I like cool. and it's you doing it. Um, but when I was 14, I wasn't into like fucking pavement or anything. I was into whatever the hell was put in front of me. Yeah, but how old are you? I'm 33. Yeah, well, you're, you know, I'm 42, so I'm almost a decade older than you. So when I was 14, you were four. You true, would true, not true. have been into pavement, but imagine if, if been, I was. If you'd been, <laughs> if you'd been fourteen yeah. and into, oh, I got into it when I was about fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. I think that's I started. The right, I, that's I the bought right a Nirvana sticker. Yeah, I put it on my guitar. That was happening yeah. when I was fourteen. So yeah. it was like it's just a different thing. It's like you probably got into like how much amazing rap music there was at that point when I you was were into Limp Bizkit. Okay, well that's inexcusable. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> and I I'm trying to am. save you here. Corn, yeah. Limp so much Bizkit, work into Lincoln Park, <laughs> rap. That was the era. It was rap rock. Yeah, um, that's cool though, because you, you. So you got into like arty mm. cinema as well at that time, did you? Yeah, well, it was just like you know, we went. Um, my wife and I went um, two days ago. We we hadn't yet. I hadn't been to the movies yet mm. since coming to Australia in in December. She'd been once, but I was like. I was like, it was 10 a.m. Yeah. I was like, let's get stoned and go to the movies. Oof. I was like, so it was so, it felt <laughs> yeah. so exciting. We dropped one kid at school. Like, and um, and um, we just looked up what was playing at the Dandy. Mm. And there's this movie playing called About Endlessness. Uh-huh. Um, that's, I think, Roy Anderson. I didn't, oh, wasn't yeah. familiar with his work. Mm. And we just went to the movies, like not knowing anything about this. This movie was wow. like probably one of my favorite cinematic experiences I've ever had. Like, and is it and like his stuff where it's like anthology, anthological, where yes. it's like one scene is one yes. one long shot that captures a whole moment in time, very weird sketch type movie. See, I didn't know that was his style. Wow. So <laughs> now I've once I put a thing on Instagram about it and people are like, oh, he's been a genius for him. You've got to see all that. Mm. But so he, he they're these long single shot scenes yeah. and they it, they they feel endless, yeah. but they're like amazing. You never want them to end. Yeah. You know? um, but anyway, um, it reminded me. We were talking about how, at that point, you know, early nineties, mid nineties, you'd just like go to the cinema and mm. what the indie cinemas were showing. Mm. There'd be like three things on, and they'd be good because they were curating from all of independent cinema mm. around the world. And basically, if they'd made it to Australia and onto a screen, yeah. There was probably, and it's probably still like that, but there's just much more content and there's like simultaneous releases on streaming yeah. and all that. But it just reminded us of that feeling like going to a foreign film, some hmm. weird thing that like yeah. trips you out and changes your, <laughs> you know, biochemistry. Yeah, and yeah. It was fun. So were you the guy in high school who got into all this stuff early and then turned everyone on to that shit? A little bit because I was, um, you know, by the time when I started a band, I was 14, like, organically I started befriending people older than me. Mm. Right. So I had a bit of a double life. You mm. know, I would do, and I, I, I didn't like school, but I liked my school friends. So mm. I finished high school and everything. And, and it was sort of my culture of my peers and all that was pretty important to me. Um, I wasn't ready to say, admit to myself that, dude, you're a musician. And that's basically, I still <laughs> thought I'm going to go to uni and, you know. Yeah, that. yeah. But, um, but so, yeah, like I was just like, you know, like, Steve Pav, who, you know, started Modular, he was mm. like, he 
kind of discovered me, he became one of my best friends. And like as a teenager, we'd go out to cinema together and go mm. like eat Iku, you know, like vegan food, wow. and, you know, back crevati, go to Glee Point Road. And like, <laughs> like yeah. I was getting cultured, you know, by people that were already living their life in the intelligentsia. Mm. Yeah. Know? And That's it was fun. kind of the dream, isn't it? It like, was pretty fun, but yeah. it, it provided me with, I had to rebel the other way a little bit, which is probably a bit like Placid. Mm. Yeah. Where when I got into my 20s, culturally, I had to fight the constraints of indie culture. In what way? Well, like the thing about indie culture, whether it's in cinema or in music or literature or whatever, it's incredibly insular Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of rules. And the world that I'd been sort of like, um, you know, invited into this Mm. world of like pavement and sonic youth Mm. and Sebeda, those were people you know, 15 years older than me mm. who'd come out of, they'd grown up in like 80s indie American hardcore culture and stuff. Yeah. I, it, it's cool now as I'm befriending artists, the next generation down, people mm. like Shamir and Christian Lee Hudson and these guys who, they've grown up with even less sense of rules and tribalism mm. around music. Mm. But coming out of like the indie culture of the 80s and the 90s, there were so many things you were allowed to do and not allowed to do. And so for me, things like, you know, saying in the Australian press, I'm the greatest Australian artist of all time. Hmm. That was me fighting indie culture. Mm. Yeah. yeah, And basically going like, I, I just want to like blow the rules off and like having, you know, (laughs) playing with Mandy Moore and having her sing on my record and be befriending the good Charlotte guys and being like open to pop. Yeah. Too, which now everyone is. But they all kind of were secretly, right? All those guys, like all those pavement melodies, are so beautiful. And yeah, but it's pretty like like Stephen Malkmus or Thurston Moore. Mm. Those guys are still pretty purist mm. in how they think of underground versus mainstream. There's country in there though. Like some There's of those country, songs are fucking but country. But it's very curated. Like yeah, you right. would not. I don't think you'll see a day where Thurston Moore <laughs> will just be raving about like the scissor record. Yeah. Because right, like right. He, he's, and it's great because but yeah. he comes from a sense of like art is like high art mm. and it's like kind of museum culture, underground culture. It's, he's interested in a different thing. Mm. Whereas I sat right in between these generations mm. of people mm. that also thought pop and pop success could be fun. Yeah. Like post Nirvana, mm. it was different. Those guys all came pre Nirvana. You know? That's true. So it was just a really different. So I had to like shake that up, and that's why doing quarter quarter century classics for me was almost like reowning just my love of indie culture. And yeah. Going, yeah, look, it's who I am. As much as it has been important for me to like have hit songs and be able to create some sense of like glamour and like mm. high end collaboration and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> like my roots are my roots. It's the Valhalla Cinema seeing Dazed and Confused three times. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, man, because hearing uh, you say that thing uh what was it that i'm the greatest uh pop singer or what was it greatest musician yeah, in greatest australia Australian song that's my first time, memory of you yeah. and my memory of it is that the people of my parents generation being like this little precocious yeah, yeah. asshole <laughs> and me thinking it was the coolest thing ever and i remember really? you jumping up on the table on the panel and then my guitar plug coming out yeah i mean it was all like i was really into andy kaufman too. oh wow that was a huge i can see that that name. whole mm. thing was like i i I realized, see, this is the kind of the thing that like, I guess why it's also interesting to talk about like 
the Rage and Placid Lake mm. too is that as much as I love music and it's like in my blood and it's almost like how I stay healthy is playing guitar. Like mm. I notice if I haven't sat and just played guitar for a few days, I feel a bit like, ooh, it's mm. like exercise. Mm. But bigger than music for me has always been like, I've always thought like real artistry is someone's life. Mm. You know, like the medium, like it's almost like when I admire someone's art, it isn't until I get to know them. And that's one of the great privileges of being in show business. Yeah. Mm. That where you see it aligned with authenticity, like it comes from a place that's really them. Yeah. yeah. Meeting them is like, you're like, dude, this is the artwork. Yeah. The artwork is your psyche. Yeah. I mean, the music or the book or the movie is like a glimpse for the world because it's scalable. Mm. Like not everyone is going to get the chance to sit down with an artist and have a personal experience that's like, but so you got to scale it. And that's why art is really good. Yeah. But the real gift is just the, the diversity of the human experience that's yeah. Like yeah. portrayed through our personalities. Wow. Do you think <laughs> when you were at, at that age, when you got cast in the Rage in Placid Lake, were you aware of the fact that it is sort of stunt casting? Because you were kind of known in our country as a bit of a like rule breaker, a bit of a guy who shook things up. And then your character does the opposite of that. Do you think that's why you were brought on board? Yeah. Um, I know that. I know that they sort of wanted me from, mm. but but it was a play before, so it had already existed, right? It was called the Cafe Latte Kid. Yeah. Do you what? know about know do you know that. about the writer and where, what he's gone on to? Yeah, I, I love know. him, man. Okay, cool. yeah, we yeah. think he's fantastic. Yeah, so he's Oscar nominee, yeah, amazing. So he finally the like, favorite, the great. Well, so yeah. what was interesting about him too was it turns out that he was more of a writer than a director, hmm. and but these are the stages of creativity. Yeah. You've got to mm. explore all these things, you know, mm. and his writing is extraordinary. And it was already back then, yeah. but there was this, you know, he took a shot at like, maybe he will again. I don't know. But, but I think really his, his real gift was in the writing. And yeah. so that had been a play called the cafe latte kid. Hmm. And um, so the character had existed. And I think, look, I was pretty successful commercially at the time. And it's one of those things that like, you know, it's the zeitgeist. Mm. Like, you know how decisions get mm. made. It's mm. like, you got to be, for something to click and happen, mm. actually happen, it's not just like raw talent or just, it's like timing and the weather. Yes. And how you feel about, like the feeling towards me mm. at that time was the right feeling. Absolutely. For that movie. I so can't it just really all clicked, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I can't even really imagine another contemporary actor in Australia that would have even fit that role. We that tried would have, to like... do it. We, we sat down and went, "Who else could have played this role?" And we couldn't think of a single person. I mean, I I think that was just it was sort of well cast, but mm. I do think there are other versions of it that for sure. I Maybe mean, in other times, I think Maybe. we were saying yeah. if it was you know a bit earlier, it could have been um, Noah like, Taylor or someone yeah. like that. Or, yeah. Or Damon l- Harriman, bit yeah, later. Yeah, a bit later. Something. But like, at that time, I don't think there was anyone else who could Maybe. have done it. I mean, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's like I, in a sense, I feel that because it was um, Tony's first directorial job mm. and it was my first job acting, mm. my only job acting, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it was um, in some ways the support net wasn't there mm. to get the performance that perhaps 
I might have been capable of. Mm. Like, I think in some ways, my performance sort of let the film down in a way. I mean, I'm, interesting. I, I just think the movie could have been better if I had. I don't even know how to say it. Like, I think if we'd figured out how to get that performance out. Like a first time actor, mm. it's mm. really yeah. tricky. It's really tricky. And I think had there either been an, a, a director with more experience with actors yeah. or an actor, if had I had other experiences, sure. I think we would have been created something a little bit more solid in a mm. sense like mm. i i mean it's you guys are fans of the movie so it's yeah like, it's a, but you're breaking our hearts we're sitting right here now. going like he's lying he's wrong <laughs> no, well that's fine that's, <laughs> look part of what's beautiful about reassessing work is maybe i am wrong yeah maybe i have some wounds around the reception of it I'm that sure. i've internalized or something and yeah. I, I maybe i shouldn't but there's also other work i've done that has not been received well that i re i generally feel that when work when there's widespread like sort of where there's smoke there's fire mm. like where there is a thread that of criticism that mm. is quite um uh unified in a sense mm. like uh there's something to it yeah and mm. i do think it was a very big role for a first-time actor and a musician that interestingly there is a history of musicians being thrown in over their heads yeah mm. and i did and i take some comfort in that, that <laughs> yeah i think you can look at david bowie performances yeah. oh yeah. Uh, yeah you can look at um vanilla ice and cool as yeah. ice <laughs> mick jagger yeah oh, yeah um, Tom yeah. Waits has sort of always been He's totally fine. solid because I think because he was already playing a character. Totally, yeah. Tom Waits is a, he he's developed been multiple character. characters. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's that's the one side of it that I feel like was slightly unfulfilled, and it mm. might just be in the sense of my own my own comfort level with yeah. acting. Probably, sure, you know? it's probably that. It's a naturalistic yeah. performance too. It's not like they're going can you come in and play like an egotistical musician or yeah. a rock star or whatever? It's like, you have to be fucking grounded and you yeah. do love, you do romantic scenes. Yeah. It's I, a, I mean, you do a fucking great job. Oh, thanks. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I realized it was just funny. I guess I'm just, I'm tapped into now talking about, it, I'm just tapped into like the challenges of it. Like yeah. I remember there was one moment in particular, silly moment. It's this moment where I'm sleeping and my mom, who's played by Miranda Richardson comes in and like, sort of like wants to express love to me. Mm but doesn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I sort of wake up and find her there and she scurries off. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like, it's actually very subtle. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I remember us all, like me, Miranda and Tony, all being a little bit, having a hard time finding the language mm. to explain what the dynamic was that was happening. Yeah, it's difficult, yeah. man, because those things are like, to write them is one thing, to mm. figure out how to shoot them where both characters are in like real emotional honesty. Yeah. For a first time actor. Was yeah. like, I found that really challenging. I think as well, like part of the challenge for that character is that you are essentially like the realistic character in a movie full of very interesting character actor performances where you your whole like 
the challenge for you would have been like to ground the film so that every way everyone else like That's Miranda true. Richardson and Gary McDonald can play like these really big character almost sketch character pieces so and even Rose like I think Rose really kind of was like amping up her like she was it's interesting because she hadn't yet done a ton of comedy yeah mm. um and I just remember when she we were already friends but yeah. when she auditioned for it I just remember Tony being like She's like Lucille Ball. Yeah. Like mm. she is so funny. And Incredibly it was just interesting funny. that like that had, and obviously that w- w- the world went on to discover yeah, that. Yeah. But it's amazing when you see that being like starting to come to the surface. It's so and, funny. We said the exact same thing yeah. when we were watching it the other day. We we're like, wow, isn't it crazy that it took another 10 years or so for people to go, oh, she's funny. Like, she's, she's always, been, always funny. been funny in Australia. Well, but you know what? It's like, it, it's because Ioni, my wife, has had somewhat of a similar arc mm. spread over a longer time where she used to get cast in these really like moody young or bitchy or sort of like these more mm. serious roles and mm. then i remember when she did um camping the lena dunham yeah jenny yeah. Connor show a few years ago her going into audition and jenny going my only sky is funny <laughs> like i knew she was hilarious because yeah. she cracks me up every day but a lot of it with art in this commercial world is have you had the opportunity to show it yeah Dude, yeah like we've yeah all got, i think we've probably all got very multifaceted talents mostly mm. that it just hasn't been our destiny to let them play out in front of an audience <laughs> i could probably have been in a metal band like i love metal hang on let me just see what oh, that is. yeah no worries what'd you get let's unbox it on the microphone you gotta get the video up unboxing video Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's just like you, you, and that, and that's a, I, I, I also feel, I mean, life is long, you know, the cool mm. thing about having like a proper career, yeah. which is like, I now finally feel like I'm like, okay, I'm at that point where like, they can't kick you out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh dude I'm like, dying to get yeah. to that stage Oh yeah No but it's like It's literally I reckon it was about 25 years Oh mm. my god Like it's not a small thing Yeah you know? And people that Have Done it And it's not all That's the thing It's like this combination of Luck And talent And just stamina Yeah Because I was listening to Liz Fair On this podcast the other day And she's like I've literally My career has been dead Three times Mm. Oh my god Like to be You can't imagine Like when you're starting a career Mm. To be ridden off Like Mm. what that's gonna feel like And the part of you That It's like you have to tap into A joy of making things Mm. Back at a level That's so primal Yeah That is done in the face of no opportunity. Oh. It's really weird. Oh again, god, that's to life. do it again. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> you picture like I'm going to do that once. Yeah. Oh. But then the idea that you have to kind of start to go you're back not, to the well. Yeah, yeah, but you don't really start again because you you that's come true. in with wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you go on those meetings or whatever, mm. and you're like, oh, okay, you're <laughs> someone that has ridden a crest. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. a little different. It's not like you're walking in as an unknown, but you still. Yeah. But anyway. I feel like when I'm now, when I meet anyone who's like done like a couple of decades in making stuff, mm. and that's what I call it, I just feel this natural, like, I don't have to like it. I don't yeah. care. It's like, dude, you, you're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's like you're doing the journey. <laughs> yeah. And I'm impressed with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
Hey, so what was it like working with uh, Miranda Richardson and Gary McDonald? Do you remember much about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I had really... <laughs> it's funny because at the time... I was in a relationship with Claire Danes, so I'd been on... Oh, she pops up in the movie, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. She has a cameo. One-shot cameo. Yeah. 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 And she's with Joel, isn't she? Oh, is, she with... is Joel Edgerton in it or no? No, I she just comes her in Her and Joel were talking about doing something together or something, yeah. but it didn't oh, right. They were going to do a cameo together. <laughs> but at that point, I think Joel wasn't... They didn't, like, shoehorn him <laughs> in. You know? It was like, now they would... Star um, Wars not out yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I'd, I'd, I'd experienced watching actors mm. and the emotional minefield yeah the psychological minefield of mm. connecting with each other on sets and stuff and i'd like watched someone i loved go through that but nothing prepares you again i was a first-time actor yeah for how big the feelings are going to be about the people you're working with wow. meaning like whose attention do you desperately want <laughs> yeah it's just slightly withholding it yes. who is like you know it's just like so crazy and i remember um like miranda <laughs> i just like wanted her to love me and like me and i mean she was playing my mom uh-huh. yeah. and in the how much of that story is about <laughs> someone just desperately actually wanting their mum yeah. yes. to love them. And um, <laughs> and it's really funny because I remember um, she, you know, being a like lifetime working actress, mm. like she fully connected with me, mm. but she then like went on to another job. <laughs> and she didn't bring you along to play the sun again? I just remember the first time oh, she didn't man. respond to an email within oh, 24 hours. God. And I was just like, I wrote back immediately kind of angry. <laughs> like it was my mum. You know, because I was like 19 yeah. and I was like, hey, what happened? Did I do something? Did I have and I'm just mm. like, oh my God, now it's so humiliating. But that's the age. It's like, you know, yeah. Gary. Um, so anyway, I just was obsessed with her. Yeah. And I thought yeah. she was amazing. Um, and I guess to some degree, I still feel that in the sense that I'm not fully over the wounding <laughs> yeah. of like us still not being best yeah. friends. Oh um, my God. Even if I saw him, I'd be totally happy. I'm just like, it's funny how those like, <laughs> the ways you project under someone. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Well, see, I reckon it. Gary had that a little bit on um, Rage in Placid Lake. Mm. Because, really? Because he's very sensitive. Yeah. yeah. And um, we bonded over sort of like cosmic type stuff. Like uh-huh. he's really into like meditation and yeah. all that. And um but he was also kind of his character was a bit like the whipping boy. Big time, mm. yeah. And I just remember sitting at lunch with him and him beating himself up for his performance. Oh my wow. In a scene and I was like Yeah. And Claire was actually the person who said to me, Well, he just played a scene where you were like throwing juice in his face. <laughs> mm. Like, how do you come out of that scene feeling good about yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You it actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> you totally. still feel the juice on your head. And he exactly. was totally impotent in that scene where mm. he tries to yell at you, but he instead decides to internalize it. Mm. What does he say? He stands up and yells, I'm very concerned that you did that. Yeah. Yes. It's so funny. That's that exact scene. Yeah. yeah. I remember that really clearly. And, um, so, yeah, that was really fun. Rose, I mean, you know, she was so great. I mean, I've have, I have, it's like a lifetime friendship. Like, yeah. we, won't, we won't talk for a year or two or like, you know, and then it's just like automatically back to, mm. you know, being teenagers together. Um, She's, so I think I was probably just like, 
obsessed with her, you know, in the way that Placid was, like yeah. both as a friend and kind of like, am I in love with you? Do I not realize it? Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like complicated. Um, and then all the guys um, in the movie, like Toby Schmidt and mm, yeah. um, Socrates, I forget his last name. He, um, yeah. Really good actor yeah. too. Yes. And, um, Nathaniel Dean. There was like all these, mm. I just thought they were all so cool. <laughs> And that's like placid. So yeah. you lived, you actually lived the role. Yeah, but I didn't, not intentionally, <laughs> just in the way that like, if you're taking something, like if I'm working on a song all day mm. that's depressing, I'm like a sensitive person. Like yeah. I yeah. feel sad, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, you can't help but it, it like seeps into, I think probably what happens as you, like what I see with Ioni now mm. is like, she becomes aware she can watch those dynamics coming up in her mm. as they're happening and okay. sort of have some degree of objectivity about yeah. them. Like, oh my God, I'm totally projecting my father onto David Tennant right now. You know, <laughs> right, whatever right, yeah. right. But I think with the first few jobs, like the odds you're going to be able yeah. to do that, it's like impossible. But, oh, I mean, it's so precise. I'm working with people like that who are, I mean, Gary McDonald and Miranda Richardson in particular mm. are fucking icons. Well, they're yeah. comedic geniuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and so they are yeah. precise, and they yeah. would be, yeah. and when they they seem like your parents in the film, yeah, it feels real watching it. Totally, I can imagine I would have done the same thing. Yeah. I would have been like, "Oh, my dad's sad." <laughs> and <laughs> it's funny how, like you, you know, in some ways, a lot of our feelings about the ways we behaved mm. when we were young, mm. like we sort of should be mortified. Like, mm. it would be weird if you were talking to someone who's 42 yeah. about something that happened when they were 20 that they just felt really great about. <laughs> like, like, that doesn't happen with anything. But it's like, like it's, it's a time... Like, my stepdaughter's 19. Mm. Um, she'll probably wander in at some point. And I just see how her sense of self is evolving mm. in real time. It's mm, like yeah. it's like one week to the next, her ideas about who she is and the world mm. are radically changing. Mm. And, you know, it begins to stabilize a little bit in your 30s and then mm-hmm. your 40s and stuff. So, yeah, but at that point, it's like the, who you are at the beginning of a project, like a movie, and mm. who you are at the end, it's like it, you're, you've become yeah. multiple people. You know? but how does that feel for you knowing that so much of your work that you made when you were a teenager is, is out there. And, and to a lot of people, maybe that's how they see you. Does that well, feel strange? Well, what's good about it is what I realize is that, okay, I'm going to just sort of go off on this tangent. And yes, I'm hoping please. it all. I'm hoping it all <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> we'll edit uh, it to make sense if it needs to be. It's okay. But I think what's happened in the post-internet celebrity age mm. is that the energetic or the psychological message of somebody's work body of work Mm. as a whole Mm. has become more important than any individual piece of work right Mm. meaning that like whether it's someone's instagram account Mm. where you go like oh i get a sense of who this person is that more than ever before is actually the currency Mm. that our industry trades on Mm. as opposed to that person wrote the perfect song or made the perfect movie or mm-hmm. whatever. So I came from a time where you were truly defined by each piece of work you do. Mm. Whereas now it's the culture that you have created within your own existence mm. that is really what you're selling. And that can involve, it will involve many, many individual bodies of work, collaborations. I mean, think about podcasts. Like how many do you do? 
Too many. Yeah, yeah. So you know what I mean? It's like, but this is, it's, it's not that it's not quality, but quantity mm. of sure. the content that we're sharing sure. is speeding up and amplifying mm. and we're much less precious. People yeah. are much less about trying to create the perfect piece of work now than mm. they're going, I dig what this person's about. Mm. Yeah. And so okay. I've found my own personal forgiveness around um, some feelings I have around sort of quality control or the completion of ideas or things. It's gotten easier in the current culture where the musicians, like younger musicians who I meet, like... Um, you know, like Georgia Mac or Shamir mm-hmm. or people that are like, you know, from a, a, the next generation, yeah. they're not like interested in me because of one particular thing or mm. another. They're just like, like, you know, I went out and had coffee just before the pandemic. It's actually the day the lockdown started with um, oh, wow. Ariel um, Rechstede, who's, you know, um, produced High End. Mm. You know, he's oh, a yeah. younger producer, like really mm-hmm. cool. And he was just like, I like going out for coffee with people who've taken the journey. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. And I was like, dude, I'm so happy that that is, that to me feels more suitable to my career and to my style Mm. than obsessively looking at the details of pieces of work I've made. Mm. Yeah. Because it's just not what I, I'm not a detail oriented person. I work fast, cheap, out of control. (laughs) I do it. make a lot of stuff. I've done it for a long time. It's like, if you dig me, you dig me because the vibe I've done it with. Yeah, mm. it's not about one particular. You know what that's I mean? True. So, yeah. So that's yeah. how I rationalize it. That like, it, yeah, it's all out there, and you can pick up any individual piece, and you're not really going to understand who I am from yeah. any one particular thing. But when you zoom back and you go, like, my favorite thing is when people look at my career and go, "He just does whatever he wants." Mm. I'm like, yeah, you get it. That's what <laughs> I think. Yeah, I was like, yeah. great, you get yeah. it. That's all, I, that's all I wanted to get across. That no one's going to tell me what to do, and I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. So, mission accomplished. <laughs> I'm so, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> but you can do it. It just involves. Um, it's all about. I think of it as like, it's all about carving out territory, mm. right? So like, no one is going to give you permission. That like, like I sometimes artists reach out to me and say, "Oh, how do you suggest? How do you let if a label listens to your demos mm. and." then criticizes them and says, can we do it? I was like, well, the first problem is why are you playing your demos to a label? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you're asking them to get involved. <laughs> yeah. Like like for better or worse, I'm not an artist that's ever made demos for a label. I'm not mm. planning on starting now. <laughs> and I think labels that are interested in me, they kind of weigh up the thing after I've made it. Yeah. And they go, we like it or we don't like it. Mm. And we want to put it out or we don't want to put it out. But you have to fight for that mm. you know it's like a long process where like neil young it reminds me of um do you remember that spike lee movie um uh what's the one with ed norton where he's going to jail it's like the 25th last 25th hour. Hour. yeah 25th yeah. Hour. Mm. um i was saying it's the, it's the 24 hours before he goes to prison <laughs> yeah 25th <laughs> hour that's another way of naming it um, better name yeah i like <laughs> I a good long title 24 hours before yeah, he went to prison. exactly um but do you remember the, the last scene of it where he mm. asked his friend to beat him up yeah to fuck oh, him yeah. up so he's yeah. like no one messes with him in yeah. prison mm. um that's what you got to do some moves like that in your career. Mm. Like you have to do a few things that, and, and it can't be too contrived. You yeah. can't be like, I want everyone to think I'm weird because I'm wearing a <laughs> meat suit or whatever. <laughs> but like if you general, genuinely follow through your most unique impulses mm. enough times, 
like when Neil Young made that feedback record, mm. yeah. like, you only have to do that one time. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, no one's ever going to tell you what kind of record to make again. And, and there is something about that. And that this is a, this is like a deep and difficult lesson about the industry mm. that if you let it dominate you, mm. it will dominate you. Mm. Yeah. And all of the things I've been interested in have come from artists who have learned how to dominate the industry. Mm. They've also, you have to learn to collaborate and be respectful Absolutely. and realize who's writing the checks and that if yeah. you take one, you kind of owe them mm. something. Mm. You know what I mean? So don't take a big check if you're not prepared to like promote it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, I think that is just irresponsible. Yeah. Um, but if you're in reality and go, I'm going to make this thing. Mm. I don't expect anyone to get it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it equal weight because I care about it. Yeah. Mm. And I'm interested in the experiment that will ripple out and have consequences mm. on the type of career you have. And you got to do some things like that, you know. Otherwise, you basically yeah. become like a plaything for this industry, you know. Well, we yeah. don't want to be that. Our next podcast is going to be all feedback. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing the metal gonna... machine music of podcasts. <laughs> I was just going to ask you guys to beat the shit out of me at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Put that out there. Um, man, thank you so much for talking to us. That's yeah. cool. We man. appreciate Fun. it. Um, it's been so much fun. Yeah, a lot of fun, awesome. and it was a lot of fun rewatching the film again. Cool. Yeah. I, now I, I probably want to re. I highly it. recommend. Also, it. I want to be. Clear. Um, I didn't mean to come across as like, because I also hate it when, like, if I'm playing mm. a live show, if people come back, if I didn't like the show, mm. if people come backstage and go, um, that was great, I would, I hate the, the <laughs> artist who's like, yep. actually, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Last night was really good. You missed that. Because I think that yep. totally robbed yeah. you of the experience. The reason I was sort of transparent with you about that was I thought listening to the Days and Confused thing, the way everyone involved feels about mm. it now is actually relevant to evaluating the work in certain yeah, ways. Yeah, very true. So I just thought it's worth bringing it to the table yeah. and being yeah. like, hey, things have pros and cons. And like, we made something pretty interesting, but yeah. it's also good not to be blind and just be like, everything's perfect that I've ever done because it's <laughs> of not course. true. Yeah. Of course. Things could have always been better. We reached limitations of our own abilities. There's a great Ron Howard quote where he says... Uh, he says, every project, sooner or later, if you let it, will find its way to breaking your heart. Yeah. And I really believe that. That like, great quote. Oh you God. bump up against the limitations of yourself yeah. and of the people you're collaborating with. And somehow, despite that, we continue to make stuff. Yeah. And that's absolutely glorious. Hmm. Wow. That's a beautiful way to end it. Right on. Beautiful. Thanks so much, man. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies. If you are enjoying these new interview episodes that we're doing, please let us know. They're so much fun to do, and we'd love to be doing a few more of them every now and then with interesting actors and filmmakers that tie into whatever the given miniseries is. If you want to hear more from us, and I mean, why the hell wouldn't you, head on over to patreon.com slash totalreboot. For just five bucks a month, you get a whole bunch of bonus content from us, including bonus episodes and exclusive access to the Cinephile Registry, our private Facebook group. It also really helps us out if you give Total Reboot five stars on iTunes and let people know why you love the show and why you think it's freaking cool, dude. Speaking of freaking cool, dude, it would be freaking cool if you guys would come and check out my stand-up comedy show at the Sydney Comedy Festival. Uh, there's three shows only, the 29th of April, the 30th of April, and the 1st of May. 
I would really love it if you guys could come. There's limited seats. I think we're still at like 75% capacity because of this bloody scamdemic that's been going on. <laughs> it's a bunch of my new stuff, um, a couple of old jokes, and a guaranteed good time at the theatre. So please go online, go to sydneycomedyfest.com.au and, um, you know, buy tickets. So it would be really nice to see you guys there. And that's it for this episode. And until next time, keep watching movies, films, cinema. (laughs) 